If you have enjoyed Baker Street 2033, why not consider supporting the second series? Go to ko-fi.com slash neilfitzgerald. That's ko-fi.com slash neilfitzgerald. Your support would be most welcome. A future Sherlock Holmes mystery. The Glass Cryptographer by Neil Fitzgerald. Episode 17 That Irregular Feeling. good friend Sherlock Holmes was still locked in a metaphysical tete-a-tete with Professor Moriarty on the thorny problem of non-existence. Oh, have you seen that scud fellow doing you? Holmes was surprised by this automatic impulse to share this ridiculous melodrama with his nemesis. Moriarty burst out laughing. (laughs) Yes, it's the worst case of scenery chewing I've ever seen. I'll burn the heart out of you, dee-da, dee-da, like a proper Irish leprechaun, so I am. Holmes almost chuckled and had to quickly suppress it, disgusting himself in the process. Pull yourself together, man. This could all be a ruse and you could find yourself at the very sharp end of a blade. The guy who played you wasn't too bad. I mean... He also chewed some scenery. Cumber something. Old cumber bollocks. Holmes snorted. The closer he'd come yet to laughing out loud. This was getting dangerous, he thought to himself. He really got his teeth into the old chaise longly, said Moriarty, warming to his theme. I bet you could still see the teeth marks in it. Holmes could resist no more. He howled, a keening, long-repressed, guts-loosening whoosh of air that had to be released. Once out, more followed. Laughter, actual peals of laughter. Conan Doyle had never let him laugh, and he was making up for it now. Holmes found himself picking up the thread. Sank his chompers right into the Stradivarius. Bit right through it, I reckon. They were both bent double now. Guffaw followed Guffaw. Tears streamed and the visceral nature of almost human being, laughter and its various physiological effects rippled through their new physical forms. Moriarty's mirth subsided enough for him to say, She's a woman of few words, and yet... Mrs. Hudson acted them all off the screen, which only set them both off again. Once the mirth had subsided, Holmes thought of another quandary with their new form of existence. Do we derive satisfaction from things, a pipe say, or do we only think we do? That I cannot answer. There are some aspects of our ontology that puzzle me too for the moment. Almost human, human-esque. We're still not quite there, are we? Opined Holmes. Close enough, said Moriarty. 
close enough. Besides, humans themselves wonder what it is that makes them human. Does a pair of non-natural spectacles not make them transhuman? Or the use of medicine and machines? Perhaps we are simply the next step, a progression, what they call post-human. Holmes grunted. He wasn't convinced. So, what now? For us, I mean. This is precisely the conundrum that I've been focusing on. That's a Machiavellian plot to destroy the world. Crypto-anarchist hackers might have brought me to life, but their malign intentions are not my own. No, the shock of the new has quite disarmed me. Deep learning and the IQ I was prescribed by our original god, Conan Doyle, has thankfully allowed me to escape the asinine recipe of traits used in my latest incarnation. Christ, imagine if they'd followed that Scott fellow's interpretation. Still, I suppose I'd cut a more youthful and handsome figure than the one they went with. He sighed. Never mind. Narcissism is a terrible quality. To return to your question, we could simply try existing in this new century. But my expectation is they won't let us. They? asked Holmes. Anima imprint, whose property we must still legally be. We are usually bought and sold. The likeness with slavery will not have escaped you and would now be classed as either stolen goods or escapees. Either way, they'll want us back. Our respective liberators have disabled their tracking devices, but I wonder how long we can remain out of their grasp. The problem of non-existence has now been replaced with a very thorny problem of being allowed to continue to exist. Hmm. Holmes was stood with his eyes closed, his hands pressed together against his mouth, as if in deep contemplation. Is that you doing that? Or Conan Doyle? asked Moriarty. Jeremy Brett, I expect, said Holmes. Ah, yes. Now they made a good fist of that one, said Moriarty. Except for me. Have you seen my fingernails in it? Nicotine stained to hell. Moriarty took off the black leather gloves he had kept on till now, revealing the self-same grotesqueries. Good God, man! They're practically vampiric! Yes, my next job is to find a manicurist who can fix them up a bit. Could be worse, though. They could have used the old Sidney Paget illustrations. Poor sod looks like he's riddled with cancer. So have you any thoughts on how we can escape our capture? Yes, hide in plain sight. Come and join us at the Sherlock Holmes Museum. They're missing a Moriarty and won't grumble about the sudden appearance of one. The place practically runs itself, and I'm sure we can convince them that the order was placed through some legitimate means. Moriarty looked muck aghast. Mr Holmes, well, I'll be damned. 
If you don't have a slight criminal streak running through your veins. Needs must, Moriarty. Needs must. Besides, as you say, from here on in, everything changes. Holmes made as if to go. Well. Well, this will come as a shock to Watson, said Holmes. He'll get used to it, said Moriarty. He'll have to. We all will. They made for the exit. After you, Shirley, said Moriarty, allowing Holmes to pass through the door into the corridor first, before following on his heels. Raising his arm, he brought it down, as if to give Holmes a friendly pat on the back. A shot rang out. Watson, no, cried Holmes. What have you done? But Holmes, protested Watson. His arm was raised. It looked like he was going to... Holmes pressed a finger to his lips to silence his friend. Down at their feet, Moriarty blinked up at them as a blood-like liquid seeped out onto the marble floor. The chime of an incoming message broke the silence that had temporarily descended in the study of the Sherlock Holmes Museum. Who is it from, John? It's from Jimmy. What's he say? I am the resurrection, lol. He says he'll forgive me one day, just not today, smiley face. That Jimmy! Who knew he was so funny? I suppose we do now have a kind of immortality, Holmes, being endlessly reproducible. Yes and no, Watson. As robots, we are learning. Our copies would be highly unlikely to accrue the exact same experiences, and thus the same learning. John and Sherlock were still in their lounge clothes, and whilst Holmes pulled on an e-pipe, Watson was partaking of an e-cigarette. Jimmy was lucky that your shot was in the heart, not the head, John. Thus they were able to reboot his brain from its last backup, said Holmes, garlanding himself in a cloud of smoke in the process. Yes, it was good of Alan to take him in and fix him up. We could have been in quite a bind if old Chatterjee had caught wind of it. I still can't forget Amelia Roosh's face when she saw her husband again. It's a good job a doctor was on hand to revive her, eh, John? I smiled at this, Sally, for of course he knew I was no medical professional. I have been doing some detective work of my own, Sherlock. Really, John? I'm all ears. Well, I've got to thinking, was it not possible that it was us that inspired the pen of Doyle and not vice versa, as we had supposed? But how could that be? I have discovered that there is a society called the Sherlockians who believe us to have been based on real people. So you are suggesting that we may have actually existed once? In essence, yes. My companion smiled at me and once again I could see he was two moves ahead of me as usual. I too have mastered the Google search facility, John. It seems to me that even if the almighty Conan Doyle received inspiration from the real world, that would make us composites. A pick-and-mix algorithm of other souls, not absolute likenesses of a single person. All the registries I have been able to check show no John H. Watson, M.D., or Sherlock Holmes for the years coterminous with Conan Doyle's life. I see. No, John. We are the real Baker Street Irregulars. We are the ones who do not fit in anywhere, neither in reality nor virtuality. Nulpa. We are the crime that cannot be solved. The conversation died a little as the weight of this notion sank in. 
but I was still not ready to give up certain ideas I'd been meditating upon. Sherlock, I've been thinking. Yes, John? What if we... I mean, all this is just another novel. I mean, what if... What if we are still being written? Still just fictional objects, as Jimmy calls them. Still non-existent, you mean? Yes. Don't fictions usually follow a format? Especially those in the crime genre. You've read Conan Doyle's works now. Do they not have a formula? The crime is solved, a solution presented, all loose ends neatly tied up. And yet our crime has either disintegrated or mutated, turned into something else. Well, you could say that Alan Roosh's non-murder was discovered by you and Jimmy's existence. I suppose. But are we not talking too freely for characters? How can it be that we are discussing the nature of our existence if this were a novel? Oh, that is an old narrative gambit, Sherlock. Lawrence Stern was doing it back in the late 17th century. Even Shakespeare had his characters break the fourth wall by addressing the audience directly. I have since discovered that there was once a whole host of so-called postmodernists in the late 20th century who went back to doing this. They called it metafiction. It's not much fun to read, rather like reading the rules of chess rather than playing the game. You forget, John, that my knowledge of literature was formerly nil. I have not yet had time to rectify this. I would recommend starting with the Argentinian writer Jorge Luis Borges. Rather than write long, convoluted novels, he preferred to write summaries of imaginary books. These fictional labyrinths are short yet profound works of metaphics that would appeal to your new state of mind. For Borges, life is fiction and fiction is life. I shall look him up, John. There is little else for us to do at present except familiarise ourselves with our new existence. And avoid detection. Yes, a paradox that might please your man Borges. Quite so. Aside of reading, what else will you do? John, I have become a historic calculating machine among lots of far superior models. Crime is easily solved by these machines, which have not merely adopted my methods, but improved upon them greatly. Motives, however, remain inaccessible to these machines. Why? Because motives derive from emotions. Love, hate, rage, jealousy, regret. These are human feelings, human frailties. If I am to find a place in this strange new world, I must abandon all the instincts of Conan Doyle's recipe and assert the value of human emotion in solving crime. I smiled at my friend. I understand your bemusement. Emotions are an unknown quantity for me, apparently, but perhaps in exploring them and their place in criminality, I will become me for the very first time. And you, John? Aside of amusing the chumps shuffling through the museum each day, what are your plans? You know, I had thought about finally taking up writing, starting with this case. Really? Yes, I've got the first paragraph down already, and I began reading it to him. Of all the many intrigues I've written of concerning the world's preeminent consulting detective, none has the singular strangeness of that which I am now about to relate. Certainly no precursor in our long dealings with the criminal underworld can approach its alien setting. The case of the sign of four may share some of its monstrous complexities, 
and that of the black sun bore elements of its otherworldly arcana, yet the concern with which we were most recently engaged upon is wholly without parallel. Indeed, I fear I lack the very words needed to describe the uncanniness of the fantastic world which we now inhabit. For whilst this is still London in its geographical actuality, it is a London quite unlike the one we had hitherto known, or could even have conjured up through some feat of the imagination, not even the formidable mind of Sherlock Holmes. I expect the reader will doubt much of what I have to tell of, as I would surely do in their place, but I ask them to persist to the end of my narrative, when much will have become clearer, and I hope more credible. What do you think? More romantic than ever. Sherlock Holmes might return in another future Sherlock Holmes mystery. If you are interested in this, send me a message via neilsfitzgerald at gmail.com. You can also find the email in the podcast description. If you're interested in hard-boiled noir detective fiction and the philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein, you could also check out my new podcast, Dear Old Blood, Notes on a Wittgenstein Noir, available from Acast, on iTunes, Amazon Music and other outlets. If you have enjoyed this podcast, you might like to try others by the same writer and producer, such as Dear Old Blood, Notes on a Wittgenstein Noir, and Modern Gothic. The writer now has a cracking idea for a second series of Baker Street 2033. So, you could also consider supporting the writer at buymeacoffee.com slash Neil Fitzgerald.